0: So again, my name is Matt. I'm one of the elders here at the Village. We're kind of entering a new season. Uh, I don't know if you had heard this maybe last week, or I think we've announced it the week before, Um, but Pastor Dan, our lead pastor, is actually on a sabbatical for the next um, uh, couple of weeks, next three months. So we're entering a new season of life, a new phase of our church. Um, our church is coming up on its eighth anniversary, and this is the first time that our founding pastor has really been able to, to, um, to do a sabbatical time. And so we're really just blessed to be able to offer that to Pastor Dan and Judy. Um, he's pursuing, finishing his uh, dissertation. He's going to be doing some traveling. He's already, as if you know Pastor Dan, he's already booked himself uh, full solid for the next couple of weeks. Um, but we're just we're blessed as uh, just the leaders of the church to be able to support he and Judy in this time. Um, and so because of that, uh, and I like to say season, because as I'm getting older, I'm realizing, I guess I'm not that old. Um, but, uh, you know, life does come in seasons, and most things in this world have a beginning and an end, and that's what we're looking at now. So we're going to be starting a new series, a new preaching series that's going to run through uh, this sabbatical time, and it's going to be the book of Colossians. So our title is uh, Christ Alone. That's going to be our title for this series, and and I'm pretty excited. We've gonna, we're have we going to have a number of preachers uh, from the church, uh, leaders at the village here who uh, you've heard preach before. We've got a couple of guest preachers are going to be coming who are friends of the village who've been been here in years past. Um, and we're going to really uh, uh, dig into this book, um, this powerful letter uh, from Paul. Um, and before I get to the passage that I'm going to preach on today, which is the first half of the first chapter, uh, which I'm titling United by Prayer, I want to give you guys a little bit of a background on this book, in this book of Colossians. It's not a big book. It's only about three pages long. It's only four chapters long, but it's very dense, and there's, there's a lot in here. Um, In this book of Colossians, Paul actually lays out one of the strongest arguments in all of Scripture about how Christ is enough to meet every single one of our needs, and and hence the title, Christ Alone. His supremacy is unquestionable as both the creator of everything and also our Savior. Paul fully affirms the deity of Jesus, that the fullness of God fully dwells in Jesus, in Christ, and then Paul gives some practical teaching towards later in the book about how we, could, how we should live because of that. Now, Paul was inspired to write this book. I think it helps to have a little bit of understanding um, when we look at these scriptures, where they come from. Paul wrote this uh, because the Colossians, this, this church, um, had actually uh, developed a couple of heresies. So it was a new church, and they took the gospel, and they added some things to it. And, uh, and kind of messed it up a bit, got a bit confused. And uh, a heretical teaching, one specifically became commonplace, and it's known as syncretism. And syncretism is actually a blending of Christianity with other things. And so this church had brought in other ideas, other philosophies, other teachings, even other religions, and brought that into Christianity. And the result was kind of a, a set of rituals or a set of a, kind of more of a legalistic kind of approach um, that replaced God's grace you know sort of rules you have to you have to eat this you have to behave this kind of way you've got to wear that and it became a very legalistic population which really confused the gospel message and these believers didn't really believe that Christ alone was enough for their salvation but also for them to live that ge- that Christ gives sufficient grace for living power for living there was something more that they needed and they added that in if you think about it that's kind of a common idea today, right? We see that all around, even with ourselves. Sometimes we add into God's word, we add into the gospel bits of our own experience or maybe other worldly wisdom. You hear this all the time, things that kind of get fed in or brought into the Bible as if it were not it's enough in itself. Or Worse yet, sometimes we flip that and we, and we take the Bible, we take Scripture and maybe kind of sprinkle that onto our life And just kind of add it in the pieces and maybe use it to justify the way that we're already living or the paths that we've already chosen. Instead of actually following Christ, we kind of ask him to come along with us on our ride, you know, sit next to us as we're driving our car and and just kind of um, rationalize, uh, you know, um, a belief in Jesus is really just a religion that comes alongside of us instead of guiding us. Or maybe we feel that our relationship with Jesus is just part of our life and we segment it. You know, that's just something for Sunday morning, or that's just something for my family, for my kids. That's kind of like the right way to raise them, and that's going to be that part. But we don't take Jesus with us in every other part of our life. He doesn't impact us at work. He doesn't go with us on vacation. He's not there for us when we are trying to make decisions about uh, our life or our path. It's often because we get comfortable with our lives, we set things up the way we like them, And if you've read the Gospels, if you're familiar with Jesus' teachings, he's a bit of a disruptor, and he comes in there and he changes things, and he challenges our notions and and the way that our hearts are. The Bible says that God, in fact, is a jealous God. He wants all of us. And so when we get right down to it, it's a legitimate question. Is Christ enough? I think we all often wonder that. Is Jesus enough? Is he our everything? We sing it a lot in songs. Gods our all in all. But do we really believe that? And so we'll see in the next couple weeks as we dig into these scriptures in Colossians that I can help guide us into a more full understanding of Christ's efficiency for every single part of our lives. Um, this, this book contains a really powerful explanation of how Christ is the head of the church. He's Lord over all of creation. Every part of our lives, Christ alone is enough. And there's some real soaring scriptures that we'll look at in the coming weeks that, that talk about that. But... Before we get into it, I don't want to get too far. Let's stop for a minute. I don't want to get into um, uh, Elder Eric is preaching next week, and he's going to get into that stuff. I don't want to eat up his sermon. Um, but it's helpful to have some of that background. Uh, on the flip side, I know that theology, when we talk about Christ alone. We talk about some of these words. Maybe when I said syncretism, you kind of tuned that out. Um, Because sometimes theology is not something we want to think about. It's, uh, you know, maybe when you read the Bible, books like this, the epistles, Paul's writings, maybe we shy away from those a little bit. Um, If you're like me, sometimes you want to just tend to want to read you know, the Gospels, read what Jesus said, you know, especially those red letters, you know, just kind of highlight what Jesus talked about. Or maybe read the Psalms and the Proverbs. Here's some real good practical advice for living, something that, or, or something in Psalms that really responds with the way I'm feeling. These are very approachable scriptures. A book like Colossians, even though it's short, is really pretty dense. It's kind of like Romans. It requires study, and maybe you're like me and you felt like, I'm out of school. I'm not studying anymore. That part of my life is through. I graduated. I'm a worker now. I don't really want to dig into these things that way. Um, that can be a challenge. It's a challenge to read these books of Paul, especially because I think he writes some of the longest sentences that I've ever seen in my life, kind of run on, and it's hard to really um, digest that stuff sometimes. So if you're like that, I want to give you guys a little encouragement as we, as we look at this book about the denseness of Scripture I was reading uh, a book that I kind of go back to every so often. That's an encouragement to me um, by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. If you haven't read it, I really recommend it, or anything by Lewis. And and, and C.S. Lewis... Um, has a gift for, for uh, metaphor. So taking one thing and then explaining it with something else. So using beautiful pictures. Um, and when I was looking at this, there was one that um, I, I just read recently that I want to share with you guys, where he addresses this idea about theology. And, you know, theology is a science. It's a study of God. And sometimes it's hard for us to, to really get excited about, right? We just want to know God, right? We want to have an experience of God. We want to pray. We want to come to church. We want to worship, We want to feel his his presence. We want to have that sort of emotional response to all that God is. Um, The idea of learning about God seems kind of second to that, right? Why not just experience the the real thing? In modern Christians, we talk about it all the time, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to know God and spend time with God, Um, but once we have met him, there's great value in learning about him. So, So this word picture that uh, Lewis uses is he asked the reader just to think about uh, the first time you saw the ocean. You know, the first time you actually, hopefully everybody's seen the ocean. I've got like a uh, mediocre picture of the ocean. If you haven't seen it before, that's what it looks like. Uh, Or maybe, you know, the stars in the sky. Um, Or just, you know, something that's so big and incomprehensible. Uh, My family, we took a trip to the Grand Canyon. Um, I drove with my wife and our four kids out to the Grand Canyon this past August. And we made it. It took three and a half days. And we got to see the Grand Canyon, which I'd never seen before. And if, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's mind-blowing. It's, it's, it's just beyond. I mean, to see it in a book or in a picture just doesn't do justice. And when we walked away, I remember telling my wife, that must be what, like, astronauts feel like when they are in space and they look back on the earth, you know. And you can kind of understand, like, you know, here's continents and this and that. But you, it's, you just can't even believe that your eyes are beholding all of this space, all of this majesty. And looking at the ocean can kind of be like that. Uh, it's mind-blowing, and that's often like what our encounters with God are like. A lot of people, when they first meet Jesus, when they first meet God, they have that, that awesome picture. They're, they're blown away by his love, by who he is, as he reveals himself to them. It's, behind, it's beyond comprehension, and they realize how small, we realize how small we are in the light of that. We're at the cusp of just this thing that's so uh, incredible and so majestic, and God clearly reveals himself to us through Jesus in ways we can understand, but but who he is... And, uh, and just his awesomeness and power, and that's what we sing about, can really be overwhelming, and that's, that's a beautiful picture. Um, but there's a second side of this that Lewis then uh, asks us to think about, and the second picture is of a map. Now, when you look at a map, most people don't have that same response. You probably don't remember the first time that you looked at a map, or maybe the first, like, atlas that you were given as a birthday present. Um, people, unless you're like a cartographer. Uh, most people don't get super excited about maps. Uh, you know, a picture of a map, it's a picture of the real thing. It somehow seems a little less than what the real thing actually is. Um, we don't have that emotional response. We're not blown away because, because it isn't the real thing. Um, however... Uh, if you were wanting to cross that ocean, if you had that experience, you're on the shore, you actually wanted to engage in that ocean somehow, you wanted to go out there, you wanted to go fishing and not die, or you wanted to like find your way over to England, um, or Lewis would say back to America, or if you want to find an island out there, you're actually going to want this map, right? This map is a summary of a lot of people's experiences, a lot of wisdom. It's been tried and tested. There's research that's gone into it. Um, And so that's actually an important tool. Lewis tells us that theology is actually kind of like that map. Theology is a tool. Learning about God can actually guide us. Um, it, it's true that we need to have a full experience of God. We need to meet God. We need to commune with God. And we see that in the Scripture, but it's also important to learn about Him, to learn His attributes, to learn who God is. And so, as we dig into Colossians over the next couple weeks, um, and and in those super long sentences, and we talk about theology, and even if you if you're in other classes, if you go to the core four class, or you know, do your own personal Bible study, hopefully this is a picture that can that can stick with you and inspire you. Um, and, and that both aspects of, of walking with God are, are critically important. And so with that in mind now, we're going we're gonna to dig into this first chapter of Colossians. So today we're looking at Colossians 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. If you've uh, got it, it'll be up here on the screen, and then the Pew Bibles. I think we're on page 843. So let's read Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God... And Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since he heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you and indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing. And it also does among you, since the day we, you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you have learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us the love of your spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that uh, it was written um, not only for these churches, Lord, but also for us, Father. I ask that you send your spirit this morning, Lord, to to reveal, to to open up your word to us, Lord. I ask that you speak uh, clearly through me, God, and I thank you for the gift that it is to be able to meet freely together, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So one of the interesting things about the book of Colossians, um, it's not really evident in that passage, but you see if you look at Paul's uh, larger writings, is that Paul actually had never been there. So Paul's writing to a church of people he never met. He had never been to Colossae. He had never been to that city. Uh, This book was written in prison. When Paul was locked up later, he wrote a couple, we call them the prison epistles, so the letters that he wrote when he was locked up. It was actually his disciple who's mentioned, uh, you heard his name there, Epaphras, pretty cool name. Um, and Epaphras was the one who actually brought the gospel to this church. He was the one who first preached it. Uh, Epaphras was, was one of Paul's disciples, but he was the one who brought it there. And, and, uh, and so Paul, not having met these people, yet still writes with great love and affection for them. It's kind of like a father, as a father would look after his children. He's really thankful for them. You can hear that. You can hear his heart coming out in this passage. He has great expectations for them, and he loves them. And he's rejoicing that they're responding to this gospel that Epaphras brought to them. He said he's seen that all over the place. You know, Paul's so excited, he's happy to see that there's this church that's growing and developing. And he's had reports back that they're a loving uh, body of believers. And so God has placed on Paul's heart this deep concern for this church. It's kind of funny, why, why, you know, why does he feel that way over people he's never met? Well, I think if we look at this passage, there's a a key to understanding where that kind of compassion comes from. And I believe it's from prayer. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Again and again in this passage, Paul mentions praying for the Colossian believers. And this is important because if you remember that bit of history, what we were talking about, about what was going on in Colossus, it it was a growing church, um, but there were some problems, right? There was a heresy that had kind of taken root. And so, you know, Paul was he was going to deliver some, some tough words to them later on in the book. And I don't think he's just being manipulative here, kind of buttering them up or sort of warming them up for the hard part of the word that's going to come. He actually truly loves them. He's going to deliver that message in truth later. But the fact is, Paul really loves these believers, and, and he loves them, so he prays for them. And in fact, I think because he prays for them, that grows his love for them even more. I'm going to say that again. Paul prays for the church because he loves them and then he actually loves the church because he prays for them. Prayer actually transforms our heart in the process. Prayer grows compassion in our heart. And there's a word for this kind of prayer that we use. It's, it's intercession. You might have heard that before. Intercessory prayer. To intercede means to get in the middle of something, to get in the middle of a relationship, to intervene or to plead. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's actually asking God for things on behalf of this church. He's asking for good things. He's extending himself in this way towards them, and he's expecting that the Holy Spirit is growing this compassion. He's growing it in in his own heart. Have you ever had that experience where God's actually changed your heart through prayer, maybe for praying for someone that you do know or praying for someone like this that you don't know? Maybe it was through praying for someone in your family, praying for someone that you walk with regularly, someone that you um, you know, are just have a strong relationship with, or maybe for someone that you've never met, either you know, persecuted church on the other side of the world or stories that you hear. Um, have you ever had that experience where God has changed your heart through prayer? I think that's actually one of the reasons that Christ tells us to pray for our enemies is that, through that process of praying for those who persecute us or those we feel might hate us or want to do us harm, God will actually change our perspective. He'll change our heart through that communion with God that we have through praying for an enemy. So how much more then can he change our heart and grow compassion in us for people that we actually do know? Well, we're going to look at this passage now and pull out a couple of different ways that Paul is praying for these believers. And there's uh, six specific ways that Paul is is reaching out to them. The first one we'll see is that he's praying a prayer of thankfulness. He's thankful for their faith and for the love that they show to others. In verse 3 it says, Paul writes, "...we always thank God when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints." So these are, these are gifts from God, faith and love. These are fruits of the Spirit, and Paul's praying a prayer of thanksgiving and praise. It's one common way to pray. We pray that uh, on Sunday mornings. We pray that for each other. Um, praising God, because it's not of our own efforts. It's not of the Colossians' efforts that they're growing, that this gospel has taken root. It's actually the work that the Holy Spirit is there doing in the church. And so there's a prayer of thankfulness that kind of sets the tone. It starts us off. Secondly, Paul prays unceasingly. Verse 9 says, From the day we heard about what was going on, we have not ceased to pray for you. And you'll see that a couple times in Scripture. It talks about unceasing prayer. That can be a difficult thing to to grasp. You know, what does that mean? Does that mean we're to be on our knees all the time and and, and just, um, you know, praying constantly? Does it mean that our hearts sometimes pray? Does it mean that we don't always have to use words? I think one of the keys here is that there's a commitment. From the beginning, from when Paul heard what was going on, the first thing he did, the immediate response, was to prayer and then to remain committed to that. I don't know if there's people in your life, if you've ever had the experience of someone who's been committed to pray for you. And a lot of times we actually say that and, and unfortunately don't do it. You know, I'll pray for you instead of just, you know, let's pray right now. Um, But it's a huge blessing if you've had that to know that there are people who are praying for you. And I can tell you, if you're part of the body here at the village and you're part of a group, if you're part of the partnership, there are people who are praying for you. And you should know that and be encouraged by that fact. Um, I'm blessed to have Christian parents. And and uh, I've got three brothers and my mom and dad. They're they're like real structured people. They're kind of like I am. And they actually pray for my brothers and our families. Like they have a day of the week that they've committed to pray for each one of us. Thursday's my day. Thursday's Matt's day. And uh, me and my wife and our kids get prayed for by my folks. Um, It doesn't really mean that like Thursday is like the best day of the week for me or like the kids don't yell or, you know, there's no we don't have issues. But it does mean that often that I'm reminded on Thursday that that this is going on. And I've got that support of prayer and that commitment. Um, so I'd encourage you, you know, that's something you can ask for, you know, if you're in a relationship with people here at Scripture, ask for people to pray for you, that you would be united, and that you would know that you have someone who has you covered that way, because you really never know when you're going to need it, and, and, and you know, I don't know, as humans, and just, you know, sometimes it helps to have some structure in our lives for things like that, and for discipline. Uh, thirdly, Paul asks that they would know God's will, in verse 9 He says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Isn't that nice that that we would actually understand a thing about the world from time to time? God doesn't owe us that, and that's one of the reasons why Paul is praying, that they might have a greater understanding and greater wisdom. Sometimes it's hard to understand what's going on in the world. We don't have all of the answers. And and even God's plan for our own life, I know that's a common prayer for a lot of people, especially young people, want to know, what does God have for me? What am I supposed to do? Where am I going with the life? What what job am I to choose? You know, does he have a spouse for me somewhere? All those kinds of questions are good to pray for and have the someone else pray for you for those kind of things. Because when God reveals his plan for us, he often does it in small pieces. In, in, um, in the book of Psalms, uh, we, we see uh, your, your word is a light to my feet, uh, a light to my path, and it only, it may be. Shine so, so far, and we only get small pieces. So it's good to ask God for wisdom and for a vision of uh, what the path he has for you. Because in, in, in the Gospels, we see that seekers are actually rewarded and people who seek the kingdom of God are actually going to find it. So we can be encouraged by that. Another great prayer to pray for each other. Fourthly, Paul prays that they'll walk in a manner worthy of God. In verse 10, he says, uh, he prays that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. So that we would be fully pleasing to God, that these Colossians and that us in turn too would live lives which are holy and pleasing to God. That's an incredible thought, that we're actually being made holy, that we're being sanctified, that we're being empowered by the Spirit and being transformed from the inside out. Not that just we put our bad habits to the side where God removes you know our, our, our temptations or our tendencies that 's certainly part of sanctification too, um, but we 're not just talking about you know, modifying our behavior, becoming a person that looks better, or that this church actually looks like a better place we don 't want to just look like people to have it together, um, that Christ would actually transform our hearts, and we would be mature Christians who are going to walk a walk of following Christ. Um, confidently and, and, and finish strong in this world. Uh, fifth, he prays that they would have a knowledge of God. In verse 10, Paul prays that the Colossian church would have an increasing knowledge of God. And if you remember that map, that's what this is. They would actually know who God is. They would grow to know him better, just in the same way that you would know another person better. You would know God's character. You would know his attributes. You'd go to trust God more because of it. You'd grow to understand him. That's, that's hard to understand. It's hard to believe sometimes that we can understand things about God. But the more we walk with him, the more we pray this kind of prayer, he will reveal himself to us, and we can learn in Scripture through the person of Christ and through letters like these epistles, how, how God actually is. And lastly, Paul prays that they'll have strength. In verse 11, he says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. He's praying that they'll have endurance and patience as well as joy. The Christian walk is, is one that goes, uh, it, it needs to be a long view. It needs to be, uh, it's a long haul. It often takes us through times of both uh, uh, struggle and success, through sorrow, through mountains and valleys. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, I know you've had those kind of experiences of of peaks and valley, and it's wonderful that joy goes with us, and we can pray for that. Joy is different than happiness. You know, happiness comes and goes depending on the circumstances, but joy and confidence in a plan that God has for you, and when you're actually walking out of his strength and having that gift of endurance, that's what's going to carry us through. So clearly, Paul loves this Colossian church. And like I said, he loves them and he prays for them. And that prayer in return, it's like a cycle, breeds more love. And even despite their failures and despite their heresies, their screwed up thinking that he's going to deliver some word to set them straight, uh, he loves them. This is so important because... The Bible says that uh, we'll be known, uh, the world will know that we're Christians by our love. We've been talking about that a little bit here at the village, that people, we hope it's our prayer that people would actually see this body as, uh, as an image of Christ because of the way that we love each other. And prayer is a, is a key part of that unity that we display in a, God that, a way that God works in our hearts with those that we share our lives with. And so I want to encourage you today to pray for one another. The incredible thing about prayer is that it's such a it's a beautifully simple thing, right? Kids can pray, right? Everybody can pray. You open your mouth, you say the words, you commune with God. It's a gift that we have that that we have a creator who actually talks with us, who listens to us. And there's a bond that's formed when we have that time of communion with God. And by praying for another person, there's this whole other thing that happens. By interceding, you connect yourself with that person. There's a commitment that's born. And it's in that relationship with God that the Holy Spirit moves. Uh, for those of you who were here last week, Pastor Dan um, gave an image of the, um, uh, people walking hand-in-hand hand, uh, through a lake, um, a human chain that was kind of conducting a search. It's a powerful image of, of, of people working together and moving quickly. And, and it's an image of, of how the church moves through the world and preaching the gospel and leaving no one behind. And, and I would say that prayer is actually one of those ways that we can link hands together and form that bond as a church and move, move the way through the world. And, you know, I think if we're honest enough with our needs and we're bold enough to share them with each other and bold enough to accept the help that comes from that kind of care through prayer, God's going to move in a mighty way through this church, through the village church. People are going to see that, and it's going to be transformational. I saw this in my own life a couple years ago. um, I experienced um, probably the the biggest failure of of my whole life. This is a project at work that I've been working on um, for years, and I'd been at the same organization for a long time and kind of grown a lot of things and developed a lot of staff and was gearing up for what was going to be kind of the biggest thing I had done to date, the biggest project, And, uh, and to make a long story short, just things started Falling apart, you know, the wheels came off the train, and there was crashing, and and people were angry, and money was wasted, and, and folks were upset, and as I was trying to kind of still pick up the pieces, and get this thing moving again, and put it back together, it was more than I could bear, and I just had like an emotional collapse, um, I did my best to kind of take responsibility of the situation. I'm a hard worker. When things get tough, I tend to double down and, and, and work even harder. Um, but the more I did that, just kind of more stress and more guilt, and things weren't working out despite my best efforts. And so a few weeks into it, I just really started to come apart, and I was basically barely able to get out of bed. I was so afraid to kind of face the next day, wondering, you know, what's going to happen now, like what else can go wrong? Um, this is a new situation for me. I'd never, I never been hit that hard by a circumstance that just utterly, just, just, um, just wrecked me. Uh, nothing seemed to be working out, and I was really settling into this kind of despair and grief. I don't know if you've been in that place before where you just, you, you just don't even know what to do next, and, um, yeah, hard to get out of bed. And in that state, I actually reached out to my dad. Um, I remember I called him one day um, from my truck, uh, in the middle of the day, just just you know, I don't even know what to do. The next minute, being so overwhelmed, um, fully crying, ba- barely able to speak through the tears. It was just all the emotion of that that moment. Um, and my dad's a believer. I'm like I said, I'm, I'm blessed to have godly parents, and my dad's a Christian. And, uh, and, you know, but despite that, we never had the closest relationship. I, I kind of grew up in a, a quiet house where it didn't have a lot of conflict being worked out loudly. Emotions were sort of kind of swept to the side a lot of times. And that's probably why I was going through what I was going through because wasn't that equipped to deal with it. It seems like there's kind of two kinds of households, I think. There's like the real loud ones where everybody fights and then the ones where nobody fights and... Um, I'm not sure where my, my current house is, but, um, but anyway, that's, that's sort of the situation that I grew up in. And I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't comfortable with sharing my emotions. Um, and here I was, you know, a 30-something-year-old guy, like, crying on the phone to my daddy, just like, you know, like a little kid. Um, my dad prayed for me, and he prayed for me, and I'll never forget it. He prayed for me that day. I made it a little bit. I called him back the next day. He prayed for me again. The day after that, the same exact thing. Uh, my wife, my wife prayed for me every morning, you know, as I, I just woke up, I don't know if you've, if you've woken up before, but it's the full weight of something, like as soon as you're open your eyes, you're just feeling that anguish and despair and fear, and my wife prayed me out of bed in the morning, you know, so I could get up and move and do my job, and, uh, and make it one more day, and, and uh, You know, it was through that time and through the support of those people that God put in my life that I was able to make it through, and and, and through the bonds of those relationships, it was a whole new kind of dimension for the way that I I related to my wife, and certainly with my dad, and um, now I'm I'm kind of uh, more committed to, to that relationship, and we, you know, I think he sees me in a different way, and I see him in a different way. It's opened a lot of doors. Um, And so the fact that that I know that he and my mom pray for me on Thursday, it's a a whole different kind of picture now because we've had that bond. Um, Prayer has kind of led the way for growth in those relationships and growth for me personally. And so that's my prayer for us today, for you guys, for our church, um, that we'll think of going to God. Uh, first, you know, as a first, as a first call and not a last resort. A lot of times we, we just do everything we can do, you know, and then things don't get better, like my situation, and then it all crumbles and, okay, time to, time to call up, you know, the Lord of the universe who might be able to help in this situation. What if we actually went to him first? What if we actually developed a habit of sharing our needs with each other and then actually praying for each other?